0: this is tina with good nurse bad nurse and i have a special guest with me i say that every week but it's always a special guest this week i'm really excited because i have another nursing podcaster with me and there's not a whole lot of us right
1: yeah that's right we're a rare rare group
0: there's not that many and i keep wanting to encourage people to do it because it's so much fun and it's 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 necessary. We need to be talking to each other and encouraging each other, right? Yes, absolutely. Tell our good nurse, bad nurse listeners a
1: little bit about Nursing Uncensored podcast. Um, So Nursing Uncensored is a project that I started in the fall of 2017 uh, after I'd been a nurse for about a year. And I decided that while there were a lot of great podcasts that I listened to myself, I wanted to hear more about less about the scientific side of nursing and more about the the real life like living as a nurse and all of the stressors and things that you deal with that they don't talk about in nursing school. So we do a lot of episodes um, where I talk to nurses of all sorts. And we talk about really any old thing that comes up. We've talked about everything from nurses with tattoos to, um, you know, life saving medical interventions, uh, and dealing with all of the, the things that happen in your day to day between shifts. So um, it's been a lot of fun. And um, people seem to be listening. So I just keep doing it. That's good. It's a good podcast. It's a it's lighthearted. It's fun.
0: You're funny. I mean, you're very quick witted, and yeah, it's oh, it's, a, it's a fun <laughs> podcast. So I encourage everybody to listen to it. Um, I think you'll really, you'll really enjoy it. So that being said, we're gonna do an episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and we we'll do our typical format. You guys are familiar with where we do a little in news segment, and then we're gonna we've got our of course our we got to have our true crime bad story, and then we'll have a, a really good uplifting good story at the end that I'm really excited about too. This episode is sort of going to be about doctors. So anytime I do a, a bad story about a medical professional, I try to do a good one too, because I don't want to, you know, paint them all in a bad light. And obviously there are a lot of wonderful doctors out there. We got a good one today, don't we, Adrian? Oh, we do. Yeah. This
1: is a really good one today. I'm excited.
0: <laughs> Me too. So then we're going to record an episode of uh, nursing uncensored. And then that's right. So we'll do that one next, and you guys will get a chance to to uh, to hear that on Adrian's podcast. So I'm excited about it. So we'll get started with our in the news segment. I thought this was so funny when i I was just kind of looking for a news article to, for us to you know our little icebreaker to talk about. And I found this article uh, that uh, from Forbes magazine about doctors googling their patients. I thought that was kind of funny. I never, I mean, I don't want to go right out on the record as saying I've googled my patients before but I'm pretty sure some <laughs> nurses out there hypothetically
1: <laughs> hypothetically speaking this is an interesting topic there mm-hmm. are a lot of pros and cons there there's a lot of tug and tug of war on either side so I'm I'm eager to talk about this this is a good topic this is yeah. a good story
0: Well what do you think should should doctors cuz this according to this it's a very high percentage 93% percent of staff and 94% of residents reported googling a patient at least once.
1: Mhm. I mean that's pretty that's pretty it, high. Yeah, and what what we do put online matters. Um and I think that one of the most important things to remember here before we go thinking oh this is a great way because patients don't always tell us the truth but It's a really slippery slope, because while we might be able to get information that our patients might not otherwise be forthcoming with, how much of what we put online is really true? You know, how Mm -hmm. much can we really tell about a patient's lifestyle from what we see on Instagram or Facebook? Um yeah. so that's that's a really good question that I want to pose here
0: yeah and so in and googling somebody you're gonna there's no telling what all you could come up with and for one thing, what if it's not even the right person you might think you have the right person there's there could be two people with this, obviously with the same name that for whatever reason you think might be that person, but maybe they just happen to have the same name and live in the same area, so you might be making assumptions right. now obviously if you have a picture you're gonna you can be pretty sure, but people can put false information on the internet about other people just for whatever reason. So I, I don't know how safe it is to do that, but I think some people just get curious. I know, like I said, hypothetically speaking, I could imagine nursing staff, you know being curious about a patient, especially if it's somebody who make and this article was talking about how the doctors would say, well, they were making claims that they'd been on television or saying, I don't know. They, they say certain things and then the the doctor will go and
1: Google it to say, is that true? Or are they just like making stuff up, you know? Sure. So can we, can we detect potential pathology, um, by Mm -hmm. looking at erratic or strange behavior? That's a, that's a really good question. But again, it's so, it's so hard to draw that line between what is real Mm -hmm. and what is, is not. And, um, Similarly, even though this isn't exactly on point, um, one of the things that I've talked about before, I wrote a blog post um, a while back about why I won't accept patients as Facebook friends, even though on the unit where I work, we sometimes have patients that we see, you know, they have recurrent illness, lung illness um, that's lifelong, and so we get to know them really well. Um, but here's the thing. I sometimes can be a bit of a loud mouth in terms of my views, politics, different opinions on things, and as other people are. I don't ever want my patient to question whether or not I'm going to have some kind of bias in their care. So I don't want to know what they do on the weekends or what their political affiliations are because not only do I not want them to think that I'm swayed by that, but I don't want to be unintentionally swayed by that. Like what if you Google a patient and you find out that, really, they kind of look like a horrible person in your eyes. What does yeah. that do to your quality of care? It's the same reason mm-hmm. I don't want to know. Um, I work in a, you know, a state, state-run, state uh, you know, affiliated hospital. And so we also get a lot of prisoner patients. I don't want to know what they're in prison for. I want to feel protected, but I don't want my care to be affected by things that I see. And so I kind of feel this way about Googling patients to, like, diagnose, or get more information it seems like it would be a really great resource but it makes me question what our real motives are and what information yeah. we really are getting from this so yeah. i I think it yeah. could be a good thing but it's also a super slippery slope
0: yeah I think when it comes right down to it the care that you really give to somebody is probably not gonna necessarily i don't I don't see how it could help you to find out information by Googling someone. I think that it, at the, at the end of the day, it's really probably more about morbid curiosity that somebody's, yeah. you know, just wanting to know something about, you know, person and they're just, yeah. And know, we're only satisfying human. Like, curiosity. We have these curiosities mm-hmm.
1: sometimes, but I, yeah. I think we really need to stop and think what, what are we really looking for? What are we digging for?
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> Okay. Well, I guess we talked that one
1: through and figured out. No, let's don't do it. <laughs> Sounds like we're kind of against it. <laughs> I'm curious. I would love to hear from people if they if they do this, if they ever have benefited yes. from this. That would be a good comment to drop.
0: It's nursing students. There's mostly nursing students and, and uh, nur- new grads that listen to this. So I would be really mm-hmm. curious. You guys go on Instagram and, and Facebook and and just let us know you guys ever google patients and some of the some of them were like well, I don't want to admit that on social media <laughs> do you know
1: anyone who yeah knows? it's, some, it's not you world. it's other people right <laughs> friend of a friend
0: right <laughs> hypothetically speaking so I guess this is a, I always call this awkward transition time because I never know how to go from one segment to the Yay. next. I'm, I'm terrible at <laughs> I love at it.
1: awkward moments. I'm horrible. <laughs> and I'm
0: one of those people like, I can't just like pretend like it's not happening. I just want to talk about it. I'm, just, I'm the person that will <laughs> go, this is so awkward. And Me everybody too. else is going, you're not supposed to say that. You're, it's just Me supposed too. to be awkward. No, I'm going to say it all out loud. <laughs>
1: this is awkward. I can't handle it. So, <laughs> so we're, we're a match made in heaven. That's a perfect segue. That's <laughs> good.
0: Exactly. I don't know how else to do it. So we are going to be transitioning ever into the bad story. And it it definitely is. It's a dark story. No doubt about it. It's bad. Like it's a bad. And it's got so many just really bizarre twists and turns in it. It's just. Uh, when I started looking into it. It's shocking.
1: Yeah. And it was kind of funny because I told you before I started doing research into this that I wasn't really into true crime. But the more I read into this, and the more I kind of watched some videos about it, and I was like, hooked on the story and how it all kind of fell together. So anyway, I'll let you tell it. I'm excited to share this with our listeners.
0: Okay, so this is the story of... Anthony Garcia, he was a, he was a medical resident. And so what happened is back in March uh, 13th, on March 13th of 2008, um, a little boy named Tom Hunter, he was um, 11 years old. He was in sixth grade and he was the son of Dr. Bill and Dr. Claire Hunter. Dr. uh, Bill Hunter was at work at the hospital and Claire, Dr. Claire Hunter was out of town. And they had a housekeeper, Shirley Sherman, who was at home. And so when uh, Tom got off the bus and went on, got home and went in to get him a snack and play some video games and be a typical 11-year-old little boy, somehow uh, when Dr. Hunter got home from the hospital, he found Tom and the housekeeper, Shirley, dead of uh, someone had broken into the home and stabbed them to death. And he called 911 and the detectives got there and they noticed right away that th- in this nice, big, beautiful home that this, um, this you know, uh, two physicians, you can imagine it was a very nice home. Nothing was stolen. You know, so they've got this big house full of valuable items. Shirley had over $800 in her wallet. It was still there. So they had been stabbed to death and the The knives were still in the victims. That also, there were additional knives left all throughout the house. Mm -hmm. So the yeah. So police were just kind of looking at this, going, "This is the most bizarre thing. It's almost like someone was trying to
1: send a message." And like, why would these two people end up dead, and nothing in the home has been taken or disturbed?
0: And it's a very odd. If you think, you know, they, they were going, what a bizarre choice for a victim, you know, the, little, the 11-year-old little boy and then the housekeeper. How could these two be connected? It, it, it was one the target and the other just happened to be there. Uh, you know, was it surely the housekeeper that was the target? Was it the little boy? Was it mm-hmm. the family somehow? Was it just the house? you know they
1: and this was in a very in, in an upscale mm-hmm. suburb of omaha mm-hmm. basically so this is not an area where crime is common right it was just a, just a gorgeous neighborhood
0: just that you anybody would love to live there with these nice kind of like
1: mm-hmm. older
0: homes i mean they're just got a lot of charm it's just really really nice there were there was no dna evidence Mm-mm. they really couldn't tell of any kind of motive that it just didn't make any sense. There were no suspects. One thing that that happened is a neighbor told police that they saw a suspicious car in the area. It was a silver Honda and they said it looked kind of like a small SUV and they noticed it had out of plate or out of state uh, plates and that, and they, the reason that they noticed it is this person pulled over to the side and they noticed this guy got out and had kind of like a a kind of like a bag, like maybe like an over the shoulder kind of bag, with him, and they started walking down the 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 sidewalk, and they just kind of thought, what's well, odd, and it's what made them kind sort of take notice, like out of state plates.
1: Yeah, like this is small town mm-hmm. kind of Nebraska, everybody knows everybody. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah. So, so they're this, just this, like,
1: this stood out to her apparently. Right.
0: Yeah. This, na- this neighborhood, I guess maybe you kind of get to know the vehicles and you think, I've never seen that car before. Oh, it's out of state tags. It's weird. Why is he just kind of walking down the street with a, you know, like a satchel type bag. bag. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, I guess they made a mental note. And then when, when this happened, they reported to police like, I saw this. I don't know if it's anything, but so the police obviously put that in their notes. And they start doing an investigation. They talk to the, the hunters, um, to try to see, you know, is there anybody in your life that would want to hurt your son or want to hurt you? What, what if anything has happened that, that would give someone a motive to do this? Well, Dr. Hunter was the chairman of the residency program um, or, the, or the pathology department at mm-hmm. the Creighton Medical University. So he was responsible for firing people, you know, when need be. Um, and so they were kind of looking at that, like, is there anybody that you fired? Well, there was this one guy who he had fired a, a while back. I think it had been a few years.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so he was, you know, he's like, well, yeah, but... That really doesn't make any sense. It's been several years and he didn't act like he was that upset about it. He kind of left peacefully, went on about his way, didn't make a big sink about it or anything. So they just dismissed that. And that was Anthony Garcia. They dismissed it and moved on and kind of the case sort of, hit a dead end at that point
1: yeah it just went cold yeah weeds. i mean which is really disturbing because it i mean Mm -hmm. this is a little kid and a housekeeper a little boy who what little boy has no no there's no reason and Mm -hmm. then the housekeeper was like a grandma a mom was like a nice lady there Mm -hmm. was really like who would want to be after her so it just it didn't make sense it was really upsetting for that community rightfully so
0: and did not have any closure and did not understand you know this person they knew this person is still out there that did it it was just really terrifying for everybody involved so then that was in 2008 and then in 2013 there was a couple who both of both of these people were doctors This is the Butras. They had been out for, for like Mother's Day uh, for the evening at a restaurant with another couple. And when they got home, they found that their house, the alarm had gone off at their house and the back door was ajar. So someone had, it looked like someone had gotten into the house, the alarm went off and then maybe it scared them away. So.
1: And kind of the funny thing, not funny, haha, but like the, the the chilling thing more mm-hmm. so is that um, they talked in the story about how the Butras had been out with a, a couple who were a little slower moving. Oh yeah, And so they kind of were like irritated that it was taking them so long to get mm-hmm. home. Um, had they been home, they might've been home when that door was. Yes, in. that's so, right.
0: That's right. That was, that was an interesting part because,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, for them, they must just think, wow, if we hadn't been out with that couple, where that man, that man, you know, was a little bit older, moving slower, slowly with the walker, you mm-hmm. know, and they were kind of aggravated about it, and maybe joke, maybe not aggravated, but just sort of joking about it and giving him a hard time, and then when you look in retrospect and go, wow if we had well, gotten there they, earlier. yeah, And
1: if they had been home would that alarm have been set, most people don't set their alarms until they've either gone to bed. Mm-hmm. If they were just home in the evening, it's unlikely that there would have been an alarm on. So yeah. Or
0: the, and, 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 you know, then, so knowing what happened to this other couple, you realize, well, they probably, you know, whoever this is would have just gone up to the door probably and knocked on the door because uh, not too far away from the Butra's, Dr. Roger Brumbach and his wife, Mary were at home. Dr. Brumbach was painting and kind of getting the house ready. They were going to sell the house and move and they were going to retire. And, um, so here he was in all all of his like work clothes and he was painting and he answered the door and someone shot him. And he was found the next day by the people that were coming to move their piano. Mm-hmm. And when they came and they didn't answer the door, they were kind of like looking in the windows and they saw some shell casings and they were like,
1: something is really off. I have an appointment to be here. They're but not I think, here. I think one of the movers found, like saw the clip for the gun yeah. in the doorway and then they noticed the casings. Horrible. And so they yeah. called the authorities, I think.
0: Yeah. He was like, something's really off here. And so, of course, when they got there, they found Dr. Brumbach, kind of there at the, at the front of the house where you could sort of tell whoever it was had probably like, you know, rang the doorbell or knocked on the door. And then when the doctor came to the door, they just shot him. He also stabbed him in the neck. And that is interesting because in the case of the little boy and the housekeeper in 2008, the stab wounds were on the right side of the neck on both of them. And then this doctor gets shot and then also stabbed on the right side of the neck. And then his wife on into the house, they found the, the wife, his wife, Mary in the floor, dead of stab wounds to the neck as well. Mm-hmm. So the police officers look at this and go, this is eerily familiar to this case you know, five and they years. They happened
1: earlier. to be the same officers that yes. responded that day just by random chance. They happened to be on duty mm-hmm. and they both immediately were like, Uh, this these are not usual wounds. No. And so I'm not a I'm not a forensic pathologist, but it makes me wonder to stab someone on the right side of their neck if you're facing them, you'd have to be left handed, I would imagine. Mm. I mean, not to get too gory about it, but it no, seems like sense. an odd, you know, I and also it makes me wonder like does that factor in the fact that he was like after they're carotid or like what was like hes a medical person and he knew kind of yeah, where like, yeah because most people just come at you and I don't know that there's a whole lot of thought mm-hmm. process behind it. So um, yeah seems yeah. Odd.
0: So yeah, so these these officers are going, well, this is just really you know similar and to these stabbing deaths of Tom Hunter and Shirley Sherman back in 2008, they just thought, there's no way this is a coincidence. So they really start kind of honing in like, okay, that's a doctor's family that this happened to. These are, this is a doctor here. They both, so Dr. Hunter was the chairman of the pathology department. Dr. Brumbach was the, um, I believe he was the director of the residency program Or something like that both of them were
1: they were they were all kind of affiliated affiliated with
0: the pathology department in Mm -hmm. particular and so that was interesting and then when the butras the the two doctors who had been out to eat and then came home and found that their house had been broken into when they reported that incident the police were going okay two more doctors and Mm -hmm. dr butra was a professor in the pathology department at Creighton University. So you've got three doctors, all three tied to the pathology department at Creighton University.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So they're really going, okay, now... Like this
1: has to be Creighton
0: related. Has, like it has to, to be. be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So then they start thinking, okay, let's go back and revisit Anthony Garcia. We, we know that we kind of discounted him primarily because dr hunter had had really just thought there's no way that it would be him just based on the number of years and the, the it just seemed ridiculous that it would most be most
1: people yeah most people if they're if they get fired you know you hear about people that get very angry and they act out mm-hmm. right afterwards but i mean we're talking it was it was it was a span of years it mm-hmm. was a number of years and i believe it was 5 years in between uh, the time that these two physicians were killed the Brunswick's and mm-hmm. the eleven year old boy and the housekeeper. Exactly. So we're talking lots of years. It's lots such and a, lots of years. It's
0: such a long time for for a revenge killing or, you know, it just and so but they really do start honing in on Anthony Garcia and they're just like, let's take a second look at him. What's going on? So why, you know, why did he get fired from the residency program? It turns out that prof- that the that Dr. Butra, the wife, the uh, that was the professor of pathology. She was his professor. She was Anthony Garcia's professor there in the pathology department, and she had given a pretty scathing re- uh, performance review of Anthony mm-hmm. Garcia. She said he was not a good student. He, he. He basically she said academically he was not good and and his behavior was not good his conduct he was he was just subpar in in pretty much all areas and she said that she really did everything to, that she could do to get Dr. Hunter and Dr. Brumbach to fire him because of how poorly he did in the program and it's it's kind of unheard of she she said that once you get fired from a residency program, it's very difficult for a doctor to get a job somewhere else.
1: And since they know this, they don't do it lightly. Like, yeah. you have to go, like, you have to do some pretty nasty things Um, in terms of, you know, I've in not in this case, but in other situations, I've heard of physicians that are um, or residents even that are verbally abusive, Mm -hmm. um, that are disrespectful, just kind of arrogant. I don't know what qualities specifically she noticed in him. But I think one of the quotes in one of the interviews is she said something like he was a terrible student and a worse person or something to that effect. So I don't think these doctors necessarily were just being frivolous with this decision to remove him from patient care.
0: It doesn't sound like it because he went on, well, I'll tell you a little bit about his, a little bit about his background. So he came from a middle-class family. Um, His dad worked at the post office. His mom was, of course, a registered nurse. I always of feel course. like there's somebody's <laughs> always a registered nurse. They were very proud of him for for graduating from medical school. And then he got a residency in New York before the Creighton residency. This was his second residency. And while he was in New York, um, he got into trouble there for several incidences. And one of those, it's interesting that you said that because you, you were saying that residents can get in trouble for being abusive to staff and, and that sort of thing he got in trouble for doing that very thing by um, he got really uh, ugly with a x-ray technologist. So, Mm -hmm. and that was just one incident of, uh, I guess, of many that, that he dealt with. And they, and then they basically forced him to resign. They didn't fire him from that residency program, but they pretty much said, if you don't leave, we're going to fire you. So he left and then he ended up getting the other residency at Creighton and there, he obviously got into a lot of trouble. He did things like he was pranking his coworkers. They said that he had some incidences where he, were, he was d- doing things with corpses, like funny, th- th- that he thought was funny. It's like, and at one point, one of the detectives, I think, sa- or a or reporter said it was like, this very immature kid cloaked in a medical degree. Like so somehow he is smart enough to get, into medical school and graduate from medical school, but he just didn't have the maturity to be able to carry himself through the program and get himself through. Of course he was fired from Creighton and then he moved back home. He was very depressed, obviously he had been he had not made it through two different residencies. And then somehow he managed to get a third residency at the University of Illinois in Chicago. How? I don't know. I don't either. And he, he got a medical license in the state of Illinois. They actually gave him a medical license and he was able to practice as a physician for a while. He got several odd jobs as a doctor, including at a prison. And then he started applying for different applications throughout the states, trying to get um, a medical license in different states. And he would be denied because of him being fired from that residency. That would, that would usually be part of the reason why they were denying him mm-hmm. his, uh, when he would apply for these medical licenses. And so he was living um, in February of 2008. He was living in Louisiana and he applied for a medical license there. He was denied partly because of his termination from the residency at Creighton. And then less than three weeks later, Tom Hunter and Shirley
1: Sherman were murdered. So that kind of explains where the motive. Like, yes, this is an old mm-hmm. situation, but it um, seems like now we're seeing the other part of the timeline where maybe this rage was renewed, so to speak. By... Because it 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 kept following him ev- yeah. everywhere he
0: went. That as it of... should. <laughs> mm-hmm. So detectives start trying to figure out what kind of car Garcia was driving during the time that Tom Hunter and Shirley Sherman were killed. And as it turns out, he drove a silver Honda SUV. It was a CRV, like a smaller SUV.
1: Ta-da. Just like yeah. the one spotted in the neighborhood.
0: The exactly. weird guy
1: with the out-of-state plates. Hmm. Exactly.
0: Now, Garcia's brother doesn't believe that he killed anyone. He, he basically just said, you know, a lot of people are fired. who never turn around
1: and kill people over it. And he was defending his brother. And his parents too. His parents said, he's a happy guy. He never Mm -hmm. talked about trouble with anyone. We had no idea. We never saw this coming. Right. His poor mom.
0: I know it was just, it's heartbreaking to watch them, you know, sit there at the kitchen table talking about their son and how proud they were of him going to medical school. Uh, It's, it's just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So now they've kind of got They sort of have, they're putting together the timeline. They know he he was in Louisiana. They know he was denied the the license. They know it was three weeks before, you know, he was driving the car that was seen in the area. So they're trying to place him in Omaha then at the time of any of the murders. So at the time that they were investigating him, he was living in uh, Terre Haute, Indiana and working as a doctor in a prison, which he ended up being fired from that as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So at the time, at this time, by, you know, by, by, by the time that they're, um, doing this investigation, he's driving a Ferrari, living in a really nice home. And it's, and it's, it's sort of shocking to me, you know, after all he's been through, his parents are not wealthy people. Like I said, they're middle-class postal worker, nurse, but he somehow manages to go to medical school and bounce around these odd jobs of, you know, being a physician and then driving a Ferrari and living in this nice big home. I don't know. It's just crazy what this man is able to somehow, he's able to just keep moving forward in life somehow. So um, they start looking at the time of the murders of Dr. Brumbach and his wife in 2013. And they discover that the day of the murders, his cell phone pinged off a tower about an hour away from Omaha.
1: Imagine that.
0: Right. They also found where he had stopped at a restaurant in Omaha that day. I think it was called Wing Wing Stop or something like that. And they saw, they have him on camera, like at a convenience store buying beer in Omaha.
1: People, if that I'm, I'm not condoning that anyone listening go out and commit a heinous crime. But if you're going to, can you please not, like, use your credit card all Mm -hmm. over town when you don't live there? Can you – just this guy – again, how did he make it through medical school? I know. Not great logical reasoning here. It's it's pretty shocking. He definitely –
0: something – all synapses were not firing for him. I don't know what was going on. So – they went to his, now that they kind of have this all put together, they go to his home in Terre Haute and search the house. The house is basically empty. Like there's, if you, they showed video of it and it's like a mattress, like an air mattress on the floor. Like not, even the nice, mm-hmm. not even the nice, not even the nice tall ones. <laughs> no. Like the one that you have to like blow up and it's just like laying on the floor. Like you get down on it. And like you can't get I know
1: students <laughs> who live in nicer apartments. Yeah. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. come on. So yeah, super, super creepy.
0: Very, very creepy. Um, the ha- so there was a black garbage bag. He, he First of all, he had like a desk with all these like really nice, neat documents like his medical license and his, the deed to his house and all of this stuff laid out on the desk. Then in a garbage bag are all these other documents. And there, it's in the sink. And all of these documents were soaking in some sort of chemical like he was trying to dissolve. I don't know if he was trying to dissolve the ink off of them or what I don't know why you wouldn't just burn them again yeah I again can... not,
1: not the most sensical
0: <laughs> no made no sense The documents um uh, in the documents were there were the negative performance reviews including the one letters.
1: written by um
0: Dr. Butcher yes that's right there were really bizarre lists like grocery items like broccoli and You know, things you would get at a grocery store and then other lists like, quote, rich children, torture, murder, like some just like like he's just ticking off a list of things. Get broccoli, you know, and kidnap people, murder people.
1: The other thing that struck me, it said in one of the articles that I read that one of the notes he had written was wear Band-Aids on your fingertips. Oh, yeah. But I'm like. What band-aids on your face? Put on a pair of gloves. Again, Mm -hmm. like it seems like his thinking is very clearly distorted. Like Mm -hmm. weird, weird things.
0: So in the area where he lived there in Terre Haute, there was a strip club where where he apparently frequented, and there was a stripper there who told investigators that one night. So apparently, he wanted her to be more than just a stripper to him. He wanted her to be his girlfriend. So she was just sort of, you know, talking to him, she said in her little voice, you know, just being playful with him. And she said, well, no, I, I like bad boys, you know, you're because they would call him Dr. Tony. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And she say, Dr. Tony, I like bad boys. You're not a bad boy. So he tells her, he proceeds to tell her how he killed, he he is a bad boy and that he had killed a young boy and an old woman. So, somehow he thinks that this is going to impress her. And of course, she's
1: shocked by this. And he thinks he's like protected by like stripper dude Quiet confidentiality. Privilege. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I know. No.
0: no, that doesn't work that way. So, in court, she does uh, testify against him. She does a, an awesome job standing up to his defense team. His parents spent all of their life savings to defend him to hire this really good defense team and they basically tried to make it seem like she was a strung out stripper on pills but she was very credible and very consistent and she had no reason to lie
1: right and this is just another example of how society wants to say that if you're a stripper you can't possibly tell the truth like you must be a horrible, drugged-up person. So anyway, yeah, sorry, they, that's my they, own agenda there. Like, let's not no. let's not penalize women for doing jobs that we think of as and it's just whatever. The,
0: the, and the defense was just grasping at straws. Anything, and they figure, anything. let's take the stereotype and let's take probably, uh, you know, general society's preconceived ideas. I think that they mm-hmm. just didn't have anything to go on. I and mean, they were just grasping at straws. Mm-hmm. They, their defense was basically, well, anybody could have done this. And the only reason that he was in Omaha that day is because he was looking for another job. Yeah. And it was just a coincidence that that happened while he was there Here's for the a job. Thing.
1: Crichton is pretty much like the life force center of that area. So it's hard for me to believe that someone who had been dismissed from a program from the largest like what was he doing trying to get a job in a nursing home somewhere like Mm -hmm. not that you know my love to the nursing home staff but is like that doesn't make sense they said oh he was probably there trying to get a job moving back to the area he just happened to be buying lunch there like come Mm -hmm. on just trying to dismiss evidence by saying like well he could have been looking up their address for any number of reasons yeah. yeah and least. it just
0: goes to show this high powered t- defense team mm-hmm. had nothing, nothing
1: mm-hmm. that
0: they could defend him with. Yeah. There was just there was just way too much evidence. They found a gun that was used to kill the Brumbachs, um on the side of the road. The serial number on that gun matched the serial number on an empty. Basically, the like the, the box when it was purchased, the, the box that the gun came in was in his house in Terre Haute. And the serial number was right there on the side of the box. And that matched the serial number that was on the gun that was found on the side of the road. And
1: the gun found on the side of the road was also found in Terre Haute. It was like an off-ramp on the way back into Terre Haute. Yes. So someone was murdered in Omaha, and then the gun appears in Indiana, where this guy just happens to live. So it's all starting to, like... Come together, basically. It's just piling
0: on and piling on and piling on. And there's just, um, at this point, there's no way to defend him Mm-mm. with all of this evidence. So they did. Um, in 2016, Garcia was convicted of all four counts of murder. And in 2018, he was sentenced to death.
1: Mm-hmm. And they actually, they do, I don't think they've, they haven't enforced the death penalty. I think I saw something that said in like 19 or more years. So, um, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And this, you know, also then reopens that topic, which is a whole separate issue altogether, but the whole kind of issue of capital punishment and how that all goes. So yeah, lots, lots of lives ruined in this story. Oh yeah.
0: It sounds like they don't take it lightly there. And, um, this was just one that they couldn't justify, I guess, not using capital or the, Mm -hmm. the death penalty since, uh, I mean, if you're not going to use it in this case, then you then might as what, well just then, take it right, off the books. Right, yeah. right. In a statement, his brother said, we just, this is after all was said and done. I guess, I think the brother just really tried to stand beside him right up until the very end. At the, at, and then once he was convicted and uh, sentenced to death, he said, we just want the victims' families to know we do pray for them. We feel their pain. We're sorry those things took place. We're not an evil family. We hope they find peace somehow. So I think that there is a little bit of a, I wouldn't say an admission, but I think that just, just hearing the family, because even they would say they think he's innocent, but then at the same time, his mom's, when, when when his mom was asked whether or not she thinks he, he did it, she said, I don't know. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I I think it's just really hard for them to accept. And they even said, I, they can't imagine the, the person that they know, their son, their brother committing those crimes. is just not, it's not consistent with the person that they knew.
1: Right. So it's really hard. It's really sad. It's an unfortunate story of a very bad doctor. And, you know, mm-hmm. it makes us think about a lot of things like what it also, you know, it also makes me nervous because I think that many of us nurses have had that experience where we've worked with a a physician or a nurse practitioner or some other professional that is, you know, verbally aggressive, dismissive, rude. um, And so, You want to do right by making sure that any behavior that's dangerous to your patients is reported. But also, Mm -hmm. it makes you nervous in this day and age because you never know if that person's going to come back 12 years later and stab you while you're painting your house. I mean. It really makes me appreciate
0: people in those positions who are willing to do the right thing. I, I yeah. appreciate those doctors, you know, because they didn't want him to go on and do harm to be someone. Be exposed I to mean, patients,
1: he, be in charge yeah. of their care, of course.
0: Mm-hmm. It's not an easy decision to make, um, and I appreciate that they did that. And it's unfortunate, you know, all the suffering that it, that, that he caused,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: it was in no way anyone's fault but his For sure. Thomas Hunter's mother, I just want to close the story out by giving her the last word. She said after the verdict that uh, she was talking about her son, she said he was a joy in everybody's life. And she said, you can't begin to enumerate what an event like this has done on us and on the entire community. So horrible.
1: No, no sad or no happy ending to that one. I mean, no,
0: there's really not. There's nobody wins that one. Nobody. It's sad, what you know, um, years of just bitterness and resentfulness, and I, I, I and think mental illness. Other, yeah, blaming yeah. other
1: people for your problems. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there
0: had to be mental illness there. There just had to be, mm-hmm. especially all of the written things that they found in his home. So I, just, yeah, we're talking it's
1: years just, of like perseveration and blame. Mm-hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, not wanting to own up to his own behavior and the fact Mm -hmm. that he was committing this behavior in the first place when he was at Creighton and being inappropriate. And so, yeah, it just it sounds like a long, long, sad, sad situation for him. For sure.
0: So that kind of brings us then to our good story. Yes, let's
1: brighten it up.
0: (laughs) Yes. we can leave on a good note and talk about Miss May Carol Jemison. And I actually had never heard of her, Um, I can't believe it, after all of the stuff that she has done. Mm -hmm. She is quite
1: an amazing person. Had you heard of her before? Yeah, so actually I, um, especially since, you know, we're recording this in February, it is Black History Month. And so I, you know, see in my feed, my Facebook feed, lots of things coming up about um, various icons in Black history that are amazing that we don't know a lot about She Uh happens to be one of them. And so though I knew a little bit, I knew some bullet points about her, but you wanting to talk about her led me to read more about her and more and I spent the entire afternoon listening wow. to like keynote speeches she's given and um this like you said she's a pretty spectacular lady and the versatility of talents that she has is amazing so I'll I'll let you talk about her I'm excited to chime in with what I know about her cuz she's yeah, amazing
0: yeah I want to hear what you found too she she so she's an American engineer Um, physician. She, a NASA astronaut, she became the first African-American woman to travel in space on the Space Shuttle Endeavor in September, uh, on September 12, 1992. She was born in Decatur, Alabama um, on October 17, 1956. She moved to Chicago. Her family moved to Chicago, Illinois, when when, um, she was three, and I think that's kind of, she, sees that as her hometown, because she pretty much grew up there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think she probably she recognizes that she had a lot of opportunities in Chicago that she probably wouldn't have had um, indicator, although I, I don't think anything was going to hold her back.
1: (laughs) Indeed. And you know, I I grew up just outside Chicago as well. So I'm feeling a lot of Chicago pride with this with this story today.
0: Nice. That's good. And we're helping sh- redeem Chicago as well after the previous story and, and yeah. how, you know, Illinois <laughs> gave him, gave, gave him a, a medical, uh, di- medical license. Also,
1: so. just as a one last little side note, jumping back, he was yeah. also arrested in Illinois. So they did do their part. In trying oh, to him. OK. So anyway, but really? anyway, <laughs> back to this cool. story. <laughs>
0: yes. So she moved to Chicago when she was three. She began dancing at the age of 11, and she loved to dance, which is so funny because she is a scientist. She's an engineer. uh, She's a doctor, but she loved to dance. So she's got this left brain, right brain thing going Mm -hmm. on. And she was involved in all sorts of dance. And at the age of 14, she auditioned for Maria. She didn't get the leading role, but she did get a role in that. And she was trying to decide She was going back and forth. Do I want to be a dancer? or Do I want to be a doctor? She just did, you know, she didn't know what she wanted to do. And her, her mom said, you can always dance if you're a doctor, mm-hmm. but you can't doctor if you're a dancer. Yes. So I think she, she took that and went, um, so in other words, if I go to medical school and become a doctor, I can do both if I want to. So she decided to do that. And she went to medical school and got her degree in 1981 from Cornell Medical College. She joined the Peace Corps, and she was in the Peace Corps from 1983 to 1985, Um, and she is a professor at large at Cornell University now, and let's see, what else? She's written books. She's acted. She's been on Star Trek, The Next Generation, one of the only true astronauts to actually appear on that show. She's the
1: only person that's been on that show that's actually been in space. Yep. (laughs) So one thing that, and she's done
0: so many things that we would literally be here for, for hours. Mm -hmm. if we talked about all of this stuff. It's amazing. The connections that she has like to Michelle Obama and all kinds of stuff that, that she has done. But I wanted to just point out in particular, a story that happened to her in the spring of 1996, she filed a complaint against a Texas police officer, accusing him of police brutality During a traffic stop that ended in her arrest, she was pulled over by Nassau Bay, Texas officer Henry Hughes, for allegedly making an illegal U-turn and arrested after Hughes learned of an outstanding warrant for a speeding ticket. In the process of arresting her, the officer twisted her wrist and forced her to the ground. Um, In her complaint, she said the officer physically and emotionally mistreated her. And she believed she had already paid the speeding ticket years ago. She spent several hours in jail and was treated in an area area hospital and released for deep bruises and a head injury. And she said in a televised interview um, that the incident has altered her feelings about the police. There, I guess so. I mean, and that she had always felt safe and comfortable up until that point. Now she doesn't feel that way anymore. And she said, that's a shame. And she filed a lawsuit against the Nassau Bay and Officer Hughes after that happened. And it's just sad because we know that that happened in 1996. We know that that sort of thing has happened way, way too too many times.
1: And continues still. This is, yeah. So, um, and this is essentially, um, you know, a, a blemish on the, um record of an otherwise remarkable renaissance woman not that Mm -hmm. it would be deserved if she wasn't but here we're looking at someone who's educated accomplished um you know a a contributor to the good of humanity and Mm -hmm. you know i i can't say that i wouldn't feel the same um i would be outraged and i'm i'm glad that she's Following it up uh, on, you know, not only her own behalf, but behalf of those that have experiences like this and they don't have the the power, money, resources to fight it. So, um, also, you know, to highlight some other amazing things that she's done, I was, mm-hmm. some of the stuff that I was watching this afternoon uh, she is very much involved with exposing young girls, especially um, you know kids of color, to uh, STEM uh, careers, so uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. And she talks a lot about how exposure and representation is so important that kids see this because had she, like you were saying earlier, had she grown up in Decatur, Alabama, What access would she have had to this, you know, compared to Chicago, what are we looking at in terms of resources, education, programs, just the general way in which you're encouraged to, you know, she had, she had, um... A teacher she said that she wanted to be a scientist and the teacher said oh you mean a nurse and that's because uh-huh. back in the time that she was growing up if you saw a black woman in science you assumed oh she's she's a nurse she's a caretaker whatever yeah. um but really she was like no or a woman at all <laughs> right right and she was like that you know that's not good enough had, what you know what would the environment for her would have been like i like you said i doubt anything would have held her back but she would have had a lot more hurdles to jump i presume you know, I don't know a lot about Decatur, Alabama. I don't want to. I don't want to bash them, um, but you, you still have to get back to it and think about: Are we exposing kids um, to these dreams? Like, can a you know a young black girl growing up in Chicago dream of herself as being an astronaut? Is that even well, something that think, we put in kids' vocabularies?
0: Yeah, I I hope we do. I hope we're better at it now. Her. Her parents were so supportive mm-hmm. and just so encouraging. And so they they fostered that love of science in her. So she she told a story about how she got a splinter in her finger. Did you see this? Mm-hmm, she had I a splinter did, yeah. in her finger mm-hmm. and it got infected. And her mom um, kind of used that to teach her like about the pus, you know, yep. and the infection. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's just wonderful. I think that's just great. And so her parents saw whatever was in her, they just helped foster that. And that's what children need.
1: All children need that. So. And, you know, now she's working on doing that for other kids. Um, I know. So, that's so good. Uh, yeah. Her, her resume is impressive. Yeah. It's it's hard. <laughs> it's hard mm-hmm. to feel like you've done anything right in your day when you're standing up next to that kind of uh roll call of accomplishments. But good for her. I'm glad that um you know that she's she's recognized. But not nearly as much cuz like I said, we didn't know much about her and she's you know, doctor uh peace corps member, anthropologist or uh astronaut, uh mm-hmm. TV actress. Quite, quite the list. Quite the list. (laughs) Yeah,
0: civil rights leader and um, activist, and (laughs) she's just hats off to her. (laughs) So I guess that wraps up um, another episode of Good Nurse Bad Nurse. And um, Adrian, tell everybody where, like, how can we find you on Facebook and Instagram?
1: Well. I would love for you to check out the web the Nursing Uncensored website at nursinguncensored.com. You can listen to episodes, check out blog posts, videos, all the kind of stuff that we've got going on. We're also pretty heavy on Instagram um, and that's um, you can search Nursing Uncensored and we pop up. Facebook I kind of hang out there a little bit, but really Instagram is the place to be if you want to if you want to yeah. talk to me. So, <laughs> thanks for having me on the show. I've had a really nice You're time. You're welcome. Yeah, this was great. Thank you for being here. I, yeah, I I love your episodes. I'm I'm about uh, eight episodes in, and no signs of stopping. So um, yeah, <laughs> they change a lot as
0: uh, it, it's been a process. They've definitely evolved. That's Um, great,
1: though. That's what you want. (laughs) You're constantly. Oh, and I just want to say for the record, the last episode that you did on the Uh um, pharmacist working in the refugee camp. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Loved that episode. Anyone who hasn't listened to it, you need to listen to that episode. It's so good. Thank you. Thank you
0: so much. I appreciate you saying that. All right. Well, you guys uh, look me up on Instagram and send me a message at GNBN podcast or good nurse, bad nurse. I can never remember. It's One of them is GNBN podcast, <laughs> but you know where to find me. Send me a message. You know, I love to hear from you. Um, I love all your encouraging words that you send me in your messages. If you have any ideas, send those my way too. I, I, I need, I'm always needing new um, stories, although they're unfortunately the, internet is full of medical professionals doing all kinds of weird (laughs) horrible things so i guess as long as i keep having the stories we'll keep doing the podcast and i also want you guys to remember that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy be a good nurse that's great